back to Drink Full and Descend, a fanatical analysis of Twin Peaks. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing good. Cameron, how are you? Pretty good, man. So we've had a week at this point, basically, to digest and think about the totality. Yeah, the return has returned yeah. and then now gone, and we yeah. were a week past it, and yeah, yeah. I'm digesting, Still. Uh, going through it, processing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that finale, and thinking about it, I mean, of course, we put out a podcast last week and you know our initial reactions are there and we ran through the episode and analyzed it a bit and uh so basically today we're just trying to revisit and maybe get a little bit more interpretive yeah i feel like we're uh, free now you know there's each episode has had that idea of like on a second viewing you're free of the tension right you know what's going to happen right but you know you're it frees you up to analyze a little bit more to watch the details a little bit more to kind of sink in Yeah, and and I also, you know, I think at this point, I mean, of course, there's so much out in the world theorizing about the finale and and everything else, which I've been consuming some of and is certainly informing where my thoughts are right now, but I'm still thinking. But at the very least, we we sort of have the whole text, right? Yeah. Um, And that does open up a different way of thinking, at least for me, because I'm no longer asking, okay, what information am I going to get later so much, anyway. I guess the final dossier is still something we're waiting on, but... Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, but the, just like a secret history of Twin Peaks, I imagine the final dossier is going to kind of fill in some blanks you weren't even looking for. Um, yeah, basically. There, there was some of that stuff I mm-hmm. felt that was essential to kind of the canon of Twin Peaks, but a lot of it was like, oh, here's this cool bonus extra, and mm-hmm. do I need that bit to critically analyze what's going on? And then, of course, half the book is like, it takes the whole story into another direction. Right. Like, I mean, I think that the final dossier will definitely be worth reading and interesting to think about as a supplement, but I don't expect it to answer the big questions that people have, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're going to remain unanswered. Yeah. Right. But um, I think hinted at it in another way. That's what I mean by mm-hmm. secret history kind of went into the interdimensional um, viewings and um, encounters that some of the characters had being abducted. Yeah. Um, went into kind of like a little bit more of the science fiction elements of what's happening in the woods around Twin Peaks, you know? Right. I mean, um, I think that, but we're probably not going to get, you know, some definitive answer on exactly what the hell is going on at the end of part 18. Yeah. For example. Yeah. I think at very best, we might get something about Audrey. Yeah. But even there, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I was thinking about it just to try to present parallel universes, interdimensional storyline mm-hmm. on a two-dimensional surface that's linear in our real-world timescape, you know, mm-hmm. um, it becomes like a convoluted thing. You know, it's hard to represent that. It's like putting a square peg through a round hole, right? You know, when we're watching this story, it's a story of interdimensional uh, narratives, and if there's really these parallels that characters are dipping in and out of, um, that can get really confusing really quickly. So I wouldn't expect there would be some answer. The, if there was any key answer, it would have to be like, Oh, yeah, actually, this one existed, and the rest of that you could ignore. Yeah, but you know, I, I so don't think it is going to be like that. Exactly. So, I mean, That's we're, impossible we're talking about the secret point. history. I think the final dossier is going to be in the same universe. Mm-hmm. I also think that's not the same universe as the show hmm. Interesting. at this point. Now, now that I'm fully confident endorsing you know, a parallel realities kind of interpretation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think that what we're getting in the secret history is like a parallel universe that's really close to the one that we've gotten in the show. Yeah. So, I mean, it's meaningfully close. The The core of the characters is the same. That's mm-hmm. intact. The core of the narrative's kind of intact. Um, but at least that's what I'm thinking. And uh, I expect the final dossier will be, um, 
I mean, weren't we sort of told in the secret history, hey, there's more Tammy if you do mm-hmm. good on this? So, like, I think that's what the final dossier is. Yeah. Of course, I'm wondering who put it together and what we're going to get there and when and so on and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, I think that it doesn't – the alternate realities, I think, coexist, right? So I don't think they're inconsistent – and now at this point, I'm reading even some of these things that people thought maybe were continuity errors in the return. Mm-hmm. I think what we're actually getting are sort of um, alternate versions of the same basic story, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm really going full throttle here into this many worlds interpretation. Almost, yeah. like Almost every possibility plays yeah. out in some parallel universe. Mm-hmm. and But the core of the story in the return, I think, is the basically the same in these universes that are, are, are close together. So I'm thinking about explaining things like the um, the timestamps on Diane's text messages, for example. I think it's yeah, like, okay. inconsistencies at the double R. Right, that kind of like shit. That. Like, I think basically it's, okay, well, they're little inconsistencies. Like, mm-hmm. it's the, basically the same stories playing out in more than one reality. And then there are these little tiny differences is mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. And then I think the secret history is... Is, is one of those, something like this. Mm-hmm. Not, though. I don't think it's the one where Laura Palmer didn't die. I don't think it's that, yeah. so, for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. Cool, interesting. And as you state, maybe more to find out in Final Dossier. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it as as I'm sitting kind of steeped now in all the episodes and like going through it. Um, I kind of like the idea, a couple things passing through my head are, you know, like cinema as magic. Mm-hmm. Like it's admittedly uh, a project that they're making from casting to delivery. Yeah. Uh, but they're at the same time, he's like, oh, yeah, with filmmaking, you can practice magic. And here's how, mm. you know, and here we are. I mean, it's it's definitely controlled the last 18 weeks of my life. And absolutely in that sense of like, uh, you know, the wonderment about it and how it influences you and how it might influence you subconsciously. And I also like uh, the idea which we're about to get into uh, in many different analyses of this. Um, but the, the whole dream logic thing and the dreamer, mm-hmm. I like the idea of the question when you're dreaming. What's the difference between you as a you then and you as a being you? What's the difference between you when you're dreaming and when you're awake? Yeah. To you, aren't you the same? Isn't that interdimensional travel right there? You know. I think potentially it is. And, and one of the things we were talking about is I started thinking about, okay, well, let's follow that line of thinking and make it as metaphysically thick as possible. Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> like, I'm, not saying, I'm not endorsing the view. But one might think, right. okay, so you might have dreams. I don't know about everyone listening, but I at least at times have had dreams where, say, a loved one who has passed away was still alive, yeah. like they never died. Or I've had dreams where I was still in a relationship I'm no longer in or yeah. something. Or or the most depressing is when I dream about this job I had when I was like 18. <laughs> but like, <laughs> right. So one thought this can inspire and has inspired in me just as something fun to think about is, well, okay, if we're thinking about many worlds or parallel realities right yeah. like what if in dreams you're connecting up to these other versions of yourself right right this is some other possible world where things went a little bit differently mm-hmm. right and i started thinking about this question in twin peaks along those lines yeah so okay if if say that's the case because now we have these alternate realities at play then in dreams you're kind of traveling in a certain sense to the others 
But now I think we're going even further where that would enable more uh, actual traveling between universes or hmm. something like this. Interesting. I'm thinking about what Cooper Well, this is, this is quite interesting to think about coordinates in a psychological or, <clears throat> how would you say it, coordinates in a mental space. You know, the mm. psychonauts, not astronauts, looking for a three-dimensional space. <laughs> yeah. And I, let yeah. me state, you know, I have had dreams that are super uh, real, super lucid. I've had dreams that I've woken up crying. Mm -hmm. You know, have you ever had that where you just w wake up and you're in tears because the dream was so emotionally, it was real. Yeah, right. And I mean, I've had dreams that I wake up from and I consciously state to myself, I want to go back to that dream real quick and then fall asleep a minute later and do be enter back uh, into that yeah, realm. Like in the Roy Orbison song. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. It's, so yeah. That, that considering and those mm -hmm. things, that, you know, if this is the kind of the... Uh, undercurrent topic of this show. I mean, this is something that every human kind of witnesses consciously or subconsciously, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. So just to be clear, part of what I'm trying to resist is a kind of interpretation that reduces everything to just being in someone's head yeah. or something, yeah. right? Oh, it turns out it was a dreamer and it's all dream and that's it. It's okay, nicely have, wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, you have these things like we live inside a dream, um, right? Philip Jeffries said that back in Fire Walk With Me, we get the repetition of that. You've got the Monica Bellucci dream. Uh, we are like the dreamer who lives in the dream. And then who is the dreamer? Well, I guess I'm reading that last question more along the lines of a Zen Cohen or something at this mm -hmm. point, rather than thinking it's a question to be answered with reference to some particular character. But, right. I mean, like who is the dreamer? So, And I think you were talking about earlier where you mentioned that if there was really an answer to that, it would have to be something like an ultimate force, like the god is the dreamer or something like that, right? I think so, because try, tying this all together, I hope I'm making sense to people, um, the yeah. idea would be, okay, so if um, dreams somehow give you access to alternate realities, mm -hmm. well, then this reality would just be one amongst all of the others, and so in a certain sense, it would also be a dream. Yeah, and it would Everything make perfect would sense to say that you're living within that dream. Right. They're all dreams. You're living within one yeah. of them. Is the one that you exist, that you're a corporeal body, that you, kind of that you're tuned into. That's the one you've tuned into. Yeah, but it's dreams all the way down. Yeah. Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is like Poe's line. All that we mm -hmm. see or seem is but a dream within a dream. Right. So like here this. we have, uh, it's like living in a dream. But what mm -hmm. about dreaming within a dream, like the Poe line? Mm -hmm. And then you just get this, you know, falling into further and further yeah, levels and, of I that. Yeah, and we should pull in also at that level of kind of meta-analysis what you were saying about TV itself or mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. That fantasy, yeah. right? That's a dream, right? Over yeah. the past 18 weeks, I've been living inside the dream that is Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly. That is the dream it illusion. It has meaningfully yeah. informed my waking life, what I want to call my waking life, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about it all the time, right? So... What is this? People, you know, sometimes talk like there's some stark dividing line between dreams and reality. Mm -hmm. I think if you think about it, no, because the dream's still real. The mm -hmm. question is just, what is the reality of the dream? Yeah. Well, it's just like a show. You know, you posit yourself in that dream. You, when you have a dream, you're positing yourself in that reality. Mm -hmm. And you do kind of have like this perspective of that you witness it. Right. Just like you're kind of witnessing the show and how we do kind of posit ourselves in this reality and associate with the characters, you know. Yeah, and I think some idea of some stark, bare reality that's not informed by fantasy yeah. is like gray and depressing, Yeah. right? And I think part of what we get in Part 18 is on that thought, mm -hmm. like the um, how mundane the car ride is mm -hmm. and everything. Like, yeah. you know, we, we want the fantasy. We want the dream. We want the metaphysical thickness. 
Yeah, and as you were saying earlier, when we get an answer that says, oh, it was a dream, none of that actually existed, it was a hallucination, yeah. and the character wakes up, like, that's not satisfying at all. It loses the mystery. Right, It yeah. loses the seduction of the narrative and what's going on. Right, we were talking about this a bit and last week. And we end up week. with this banal reality. Boom. Right, you could interpret the whole show at this point. You could say, okay, well, there's a guy named Richard who had this really elaborate dream, and then he woke up and his uh, girlfriend has left him. Yeah. And that's it. Well, I like this uh, is where I like the Wizard of Oz thing, because it's like, you know, Dorothy waking up from her dream. Mm -hmm. Judy Garland, by the way, <laughs> of course. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, you know, but there's this phase where it's just like, oh, and that all sums it up and wraps it up. And then there's the characters that you thought were these other characters because you had these impressions of them in, the, mm -hmm. in, the, in your dream. But I think with episode 18, it carries it that level further as if in that phase, Judy had actually... Judy, Judy. Um, Dorothy had actually confronted the reality of her real life waking up on the farm. That would have felt like episode 18. But uh, yeah, they couldn't do it so. then. They had to wrap it up there. But for Lynch to show us that is also, I think, kind of a buffer to get us out of our dream, to get us back to reality. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just jump between extremes. You know, you got to go through this kind of... Um, yeah, but the one thing I was thinking about that I was saying to you a little bit ago is, is the extent to which I feel like as viewers, we want the metaphysically thick version to be real. Yeah. Right. It's like we want the world where there is Bob and the arm and, you know, yeah. all this and the stuff. Yellow brick road. Yeah. And it's like this is more interesting. Right. And, and, and this level of meaningfulness or, or what have you. Um, so I think you could certainly interpret the show this way if you want to. If you want mm -hmm. to say, oh, hey, well, Richard is the dreamer and everything's in his head. Mm -hmm. But man, who wants that to be the right interpretation? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just in this meta way in analyzing dreams and waking up from a dream and a television series kind of being like a dream, you have a character admitting they're living inside a dream in this dream that we're watching. You have the dream within a dream thing. Mm -hmm. And I think if that goes like if you mirror that out to this infinite like levels of that, then you have the possibility of constantly waking up the continuously waking up and you see this in some movies right like mm -hmm. oh i woke up and then oh something else crazy happened and then yeah. boom oh, oh i woke up again yeah. Yeah, yeah but imagine that carried on ad infinitum you know it reminded you me of uh, this rick and Cooper. morty episode i was just watching oh you're still in a simulation yeah and yeah. how long that can go and but it's constantly <laughs> yeah. it's like there's if this there's this constant um fil uh stage by staged waking up it, there's also the possibility of a constant staged by staged falling asleep Falling asleep, mm -hmm. and then the character in your dream world falls asleep, and then the character in your dream world falls asleep. And it gets yeah. really slippery, maybe, when that kind of thing happens. Well, right. And I think that something along these lines is going on here. I, I wouldn't quite put it the way you just did, though. Mm -hmm. I just think it's more like there are al alternate realities or parallel universes at play. And I think that is made clear by Part 18. Like, yeah. There, I mean, again, unless you accept the really deflationary, it's all in Richard's head theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems to me that Cooper and Diane actually have crossed to another reality yeah. in Part 18. Uh, and I feel like if they know, you know, they kiss before they go down the hill mm. without the engine running, you know, to cross over. And they acknowledge it. So that tells me so they must have done another crossing at least once before and retained their conscious minds. Maybe, right? maybe. I was wondering about that. And, at least and one. Also in terms of how Diane sees her double. Yeah. Um, and how when Cooper or Richard uh, wakes up alone, it turns out he's in a different motel and has a different car. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that got me wondering if we're actually seeing two different attempts. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Right? Um, so maybe they have done that any number of times, and 
I don't know. I'm I'm still tempted to think that maybe we see the first attempt at first and something like the last attempt when he wakes up alone. But I don't know, man. It's so hard to read all of this. Yeah. 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 Uh, You were saying something earlier about um, Coop possibly having contact with other characters in the mystery mm-hmm. over the 25 years that he was trapped in the lodge. Yeah, I'm pretty settled. There's a couple things that we should talk about regarding yeah, this. I'm pretty settled in terms of believing that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's pretty good evidence for a couple of them at least and maybe more circumstantial evidence for the third one. Yeah, so we hear from Cole in the finale that there was a plan mm-hmm. that it was going way back that actually Albert was not clued into. Right, but it was Briggs, Cooper, and Cole's plan. Correct, yeah. With regard to Judy. To find Judy, right? Mm-hmm. They were looking for Judy. And Judy's explained to be an extreme negative force, just to state that again. Right. So it's hard to, you know, encapsulate Judy anything. It's hard for me to picture Judy being anything other than kind of a, a field of energy, this mm. force that he's calling. It's like the opposite of the force in Star Wars. It's like the extreme yeah. negative force that is on the underbelly, which actually makes sense in a Lynchian way, like Blue Velvet zooming into nice mm. green mm-hmm. grass and picket fence. That's Star Wars force with Ben Kenobi. You know, but really underneath that, you get Judy Force, you know, like. Yeah, I'm still a little on the fence about that. You were saying something like this last week, and I think it's interesting. I still have a bit of a tendency to think that Judy is the experiment, but maybe that's just me trying to simplify something. And you know I agree I mean? with that, too, even stating what I'm thinking. just I'm just he- hearing Cole saying it's an mm, extreme negative force, yeah. and that can probably embody itself in different ways, you know. Yeah, perhaps. So I'm not or, sure that figure that's, you know, vomiting projectile ectoplasm eggs of Bob or whatever, moth right. dogs, is the version of Judy. That is, is that the ultimate foundational yeah, right. Judy? There's you know? the possibility that Judy pervades all of this um, or like uh, gravity and mass or something is how i picture it like when you get this ooh, extreme negativity ooh, you get the, it it collapses on itself and it forms into this black hole I got kind something. of yeah this is like the negative pole of the electricity man yeah this is is okay yeah right and the positive is i don't know what oh <laughs> laura or uh, but it depends there's on a lot the, of things we could posit in yeah, there but it depends on the intention behind the fire as yeah exactly said, right? this is as so hawk has explained you it. can definitely uh, i didn't think about that till just now you could definitely hook up that term negative with electricity yeah that's true negative yeah. and positive polarity yeah. now this is something really interesting to think <laughs> yeah. about um yeah. and also i think I'm, i pointed out before mm-hmm. when we are associated with the woodsmen and these dark kind of figures you do get the load of the grunt, the low frequency, mm-hmm. yeah. um, longer wavelengths that mm-hmm. is like just like low and guttural. And then when you see things like, you know, Laura or um, the tone that they're looking for in the Great Northern, yeah. which mm-hmm. is where Coop eventually goes through to find Mike to try to resolve all this, uh, you do have that dichotomy where you get the higher frequency pitched stuff. Yeah, so it's something to think about. Something to think about. Yeah, mm-hmm. but back to the question at hand. Cole, Briggs, and Cooper came up with a plan, Cole says. Yeah. So from the moment that I heard that watching the episode, I thought, well, when did they do that? Yeah. You know? Um, And I think that um, we said last week, oh, well, let's just imagine they probably did that sometime before Cooper went into the lodge. Now I'm thinking, no. Now I'm thinking they did it after Cooper was in the lodge. Well, 25 years is a long time to develop sort of a method. But that would we would have to explain his method of communication from the lodge to Cole. Well, I think all we need is him to communicate with Briggs. Mm -hmm. And Briggs, it's clear, has some access to the Lodge space. Right? Now, in the original run, it seemed to be relatively accidental. But perhaps he developed his skill 
a bit. He's been in the lodge hibernating, quote unquote, um, for so long as well, though, too, right? So if Briggs is in the lodge mm-hmm. and Cooper's in the lodge in this time, how well, do they get message out to Cole? But you remember they found unless they've pre-planned everything. Well, but remember they found Briggs's prints in sixteen different places. Yeah. So what I'm imagining is that Briggs gained the ability to like access the lodges and come back. I see. Mm-hmm. Sort of at will, like mm-hmm. he gained this skill, and then I think went into hibernation. Um, hmm. perhaps Do you think he a, kept his head in that space the whole time? He could send his body out without a head. No, I think his head. No, 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 no. You no, get man. fingerprints, but you don't no, get no, body. No, no, no. I, think I mean, the, you don't get head. I think the head went with him until the last time, and okay. and someone or um, some ones intervened. Okay. And so to, you end up with uh, Briggs's headless body because his head didn't make it out of the lodge. His head's still in the lodge. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I and uh, so possibly you yeah, know when we see like Cooper come through the giant outlet, there maybe was a moment like that where when once the head was through, then somehow he was decapitated at that moment that he was flying yeah. through electricity. Or I'm thinking about the woodsman. Maybe it would be better to think that he had come fully into our reality and then he was going back, and his head went first, and then the body didn't make it. Maybe okay. that makes more sense. Yeah, like how the woodsman's head floated off and then his body. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. a- anyway, mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking. The other thing, the bigger piece of evidence is the hotel key. Yeah. Because Cooper says in part 17 that Briggs told him that Truman would have the hotel key. Yeah. And, and how would he get that information? It seems like he would have to have been getting that information from Briggs after he was in the lodge. I mm. think mm-hmm. he had the key, mm-hmm. right? When he came out and took Dougie's place, he had the key mm-hmm. and then lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, but it makes me think, and it also feels more plausible to me that, um, they would have come up with this plan after, but I mean, I guess that's not definitive, but the hotel key thing makes me think. Or the hotel key was supposed to be the beacon that guided Dougie back to that room underneath the Great Northern, but because he lost it, it got sent ahead of him, and luckily through the help of Janie E and all these experiences and the Mitchum brothers, mm-hmm. he ended up up there anyway. But that maybe the lodge key itself was supposed to be this kind of uh, totem or something to get him to up to the Great Northern because, you know, it was stamped what it was. Yeah, and but it ended he, up working for that door. Right, but he says that Truman would have it. Cooper says that Briggs told him Truman would have it. Right. So, so, so Briggs has kind of come through to be like an all-knowing figure when Cooper says, you know, your father knew what was right. going on here today, mm-hmm. where he says he knew in the past what is going on here yeah, today. Exactly, he's admitting that Briggs has kind of this grand view, past future can can see more than just in a linear way. Right. So I'm thinking that basically, um, you know, shortly after the events of the original run, Briggs became almost a lodge being. Yeah. Yeah. He's upgraded somehow. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like. I mean, of course, then we see his head floating there yeah. with the giant. So, mm-hmm. and that's another person that I think that Cooper must have been in contact with uh, is um, the fireman, mm-hmm. the giant. Of course, we already saw that scene at the beginning where um, we have the line about Richard and Linda and all of that. Mm-hmm. But also, I was thinking about the fact that uh, Cooper knows who Freddie is. Yeah, in the scene when he says, "Ask him, are you Freddie?" Yeah. So it's like Cooper was waiting for there to be a Freddie there that would somehow be connected to defeating Bob, and was, of course. 
Exactly. So how does he know about Freddie? And then that brings up the idea, you know, from what we know of Freddie's backstory is that he was in England and that he enters the lodge somehow. He sees the giant. Mm-hmm. The giant guides him to find the glove, which gives him the superpower, and then decides he's going to go to United States, but there's already a plane ticket bought for him. So do yeah. we picture the giant, like, calling up and ordering a plane ticket for him, or is that Cole's end of the plan or something like that? So you have maybe yeah, possibly— Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking something yeah, like that. Worldly yeah. elements assisting the lodge beings in mm-hmm. carrying out this plan to defeat Bob slash Judy. Yeah, so I'm thinking there both. was contact in terms of this plan between Cooper and Briggs, Briggs and Cole— and the fireman's also involved. I would expect Cole to also say to Albert in that moment, and Diane was involved in this plan too. That wouldn't mm. that have explained uh, quite a few things? That's odd, but I don't think so. That gets to the other person that I think that Cooper was in contact with while he was in the lodge space is Diane. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think about it, go, go back to the rape story. Mm-hmm. She says, well, after that, uh, he took me to this old gas station. So yeah. I think that's the convenience store. Yeah. And she says that was a few years after Coop had disappeared. Yeah. So apparently Diane would have been in the lodge for the past, let's say, 20 years. Something like that. Well, the, assuming that she was in there that whole time. I am assuming she was in there that whole time. That, that yeah, which, oh, you're saying, yeah, because we know that now because the Diane that was then presented from then was the Tulpa that mm-hmm. was shot. And then she finally gets out and sees Cooper again. Yeah. So I'm basically, I don't know if she was like trapped in Naido or however we read that exactly. I don't know if she was like that the whole time or what, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of thinking that Diane was in the lodge space and that she and Cooper were in some contact and maybe it's a bit circumstantial, but part of what I'm thinking is making sense to myself, the nature of their relationship Mm -hmm. um, in part 17 and 18 and trying to make sense of that because at first it just didn't strike me right. You know, given mm-hmm. what we know, I thought just a more professional relationship. Tolpa Diane says they'd kissed once yeah. prior to the, the rape. Yeah. And now they seem to be more romantic. So I'm thinking perhaps they were in contact uh, sort of through Lodge mechanisms as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess we don't know for sure. That could be. Hmm. Yeah. So now let's talk about Laura. There are a lot of possibilities of what's going on with Carrie Page and mm-hmm. Laura Palmer. Yeah. And, of course, you know— Notwithstanding Maddie, which maybe is not even worth mentioning, but the fact that we've seen Cheryl Lee playing several different characters and yep. the possibility of tulpas now and interdimensional travel yeah. and all this. Um, I think maybe the place I want to start here is, you know, there are people out there who seem to think that the finale erases the series. The thought being, if Laura Palmer didn't die, Cooper never would have come to Twin Peaks and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, there's and an effect to the canon, I would say. It's it's an interesting... I don't think... Erases? I mean, no. It's always going to be there, of course. But we're mm-hmm. talking about parallel realities, right? So I feel like all of them exist. Nothing's erased. No, exactly. I think we're on the same page here. I'm just yeah. talking other people on the internet and such, mm-hmm. uh, particularly perhaps people who were upset at the finale. I see. We're, we're, we're saying, oh, this just like erases the whole series and it's just satisfying. But yeah, I think precisely as you were saying, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, maybe now we've created sort of a new timeline or reality in which Laura didn't die, but it doesn't get rid of the one where she did die. Yeah, I agree. It kind of fractures. It creates a yeah. whole new timeline. Time Co- Cooper is again. creating time space because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the Marty McFly paradox thing or something, right, that we spoke of last uh, episode is uh, yeah. the idea that if there's a, um, a, pa- a paradox happens— that it might fracture space-time itself mm-hmm. and the dangers of that. Well, it's kind of amusing to watch old Doc Brown figure that situation out, and it's fun. 
But to watch our coop in this scenario with Judy on the loose, yeah, and you do have a kind of uh, a certain kind of grandfather paradox here because Cooper Cooper had to come to Twin Peaks to investigate Laurel Palmer's murder in order to end up in the spot where he went back to keep Laura Palmer from being murdered. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, okay, if Laura Palmer wasn't murdered, he wouldn't have come to Twin Peaks, but if he never came to Twin Peaks, he wouldn't have been there to intervene to stop Laura from being murdered. Yeah. There is a paradox, but I think now it just fractures. You have to say you've got then these alternate realities that are in sort of contradiction with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think that has to be part of what we're thinking about when we think about the Richard and Linda stuff. Yeah, and if it's all parallel streams, though, they can contradict each other because they're not in the same universe, each one of them. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's one thing that would explain it, right, is that in parallel universe theory, there are, you know, let's say infinite parallel streams. Yes. And if you can jump in and out of them, some of them are very similar to each other. Some of them are far drastically different. But mm-hmm. even if there's if there's a contradiction between them then that can exist because something went wrong, something changed. Well, yeah, except that here we have the Cooper from one reality intervening in another reality. Mm-hmm. So the inconsistency has to do with Cooper, hmm. if you're following me here. It's, it's, a, it's a leap, you know, because this <laughs> is the whole thing. It's a, quite a uh, thought experiment to go through this in your mind because it makes you question the nature of space-time itself, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So, But what you're saying is, okay, so it, because Cooper has gone back and stopped the murder of Laura Palmer mm-hmm. that he never would have gone to Twin Peaks and thus never would have gotten to fall through the events to lead him into the lodge. Yeah. Right? So, um, but here's the thing. So I kind of picture it as, um, like there are these blue rose cases going on, right? Anytime something's off, they're let known. If there's some weird metaphysical thing, boom, it's a blue rose case. Yeah. If these guys were tuned into this extreme dark energy and were kind of like scouring the scene for what could be Blue's Rose cases, mm-hmm. and then got word of the Laura Palmer case and somehow ended up there um, knowing that that would have turned into a Blue Rose case. Yeah. Um, then possibly they've been jumping through dimensions before, right? Mm-hmm. So I basically, I want to consider two possibilities, if you follow me here. One, let's put them out both first, okay? Mm-hmm. And we'll take them one at a time. Okay. Possibility A is that Cooper doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, possibility B is that Cooper does know what he's doing. Follow me? Mm-hmm. So I think it is a possibility that um, in going back and trying to save Laura Palmer, Cooper is being naive or something like this mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't really know what he's doing, doesn't realize the effects that his actions are going to have on you know, the multidimensional metaphysical reality or what have you. Yeah. Maybe Laura slips from his grasp and he didn't see that coming. And then after that, he's trying to correct that mistake and he's caught in some loop of trying to save Laura where he's just going to keep failing. Yeah. That's one possibility. Okay. What do you think? Well, that's quite interesting. Um, there's a number of things about that. I You could see in that explanation that the moment that he loses Laura in the woods is gratification that his plan worked though no because mm, maybe if she disappears then that and that means that um that maybe he prevented the whole thing if he saves her then he prevents himself from having to come save her and therefore how would that work out in reality she would pop out of his hand because she no longer needs saving so he's not able to save her yeah okay so he saved her and her body wrapped in plastic disappears yeah and then it's not he's not walking her to her home and then suddenly the the world is different. It's like in that moment 
um, space-time itself fractured. Mm -hmm. And instead of, like, being there for her to save, it wasn't even necessary to save her because it was a whole other circumstance evolved where suddenly she's living with a different name in Texas. Okay, maybe. On that line of thinking, I think that the fireman's involved or something like that because they are by Mm -hmm. Jackrabbit's Palace, right? So maybe she gets sucked into the lodge and then put down in Odessa. Mm -hmm. I think I might have said this last week, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a loop there. Thinking back to uh, part eight. Yeah. With the giant and the Laura orb and the pneumatic saxophone. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a possibility. Mm -hmm. But I think like, so if, okay, if Cooper does know what he's doing and this is all a part of his plan with the fireman and others. Yeah. Then it would be something along those lines that, okay, then Laura's going to get taken into the White Lodge and then maybe put down in Odessa in this other universe and then Cooper has to find her for some reason? Well, I I don't think Cooper has to find her. I think word has gotten out that Bob is caught up with her in Texas and is Mm. in that guy's body. I mean, we see the gut bulge uh, wound and the man shot in the head, right? So Mm. I kind of take that. I mean, I looked at that again closer and like, yeah, that's an orb came out of that guy's belly, I believe, you know? Yeah, I think it's more ambiguous. Like I thought, you know, there are other possible more mundane explanations. Sure, but uh, that would make sense, though, that if we have these, you know, interdimensional cowboys wearing white hats jumping around, then we would also have the, you know, black hat bad guy coming in and trying to catch up to our hero or something. Yeah, well, and I'm thinking about it in terms of there's supposed to be some plan related to Judy and two birds, one stone. Mm-hmm. Maybe the two birds are saving Laura and doing whatever to Judy, capturing Judy, defeating Judy or something. Mm-hmm. I still don't have a better thought uh, about that other than interpreting that that way, I guess. so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's the plan with uh, in the Richard and Linda and, and all of this? Uh, I'm still struggling to fully... Sure. Put that together. Well, I think, and a lot of other mm. people that are doing uh, analysis of uh, the show are kind of admitting, like, you know, when Mulholland Drive was over, it was a two-hour film, and we spent months, like, going through the yeah. different scenes and everything. Mm. Now we've got an 18-hour, you know, right. session that we're tearing apart, and, uh, you know, probably for weeks and weeks there will be different things to uh, Yeah, or develop. years even, right? Yeah. I mean, not even just Mulholland Drive. You can think about the original run of Twin Peaks, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, the theorizing about that to a certain degree never stopped. Yeah. It was just at various degrees of intensity, mm-hmm. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And we, we also have this idea of, um, you know, if you're talking about parallel universes and different dimensions, to have an actor act as a character that doesn't exist, and we've talked about this, where this, Lynch just said, this world exists, and then we're just vis- revisiting it. Yeah. And people are saying, okay, so the return was Kyle McLaughlin returning from the lodge, but I feel like the return is us returning to this story, is the real mm, return. That's yeah. the Twin Peaks. The return is us looking back at it again, and so there's this deep level of metaphysical thing going on. And if you're talking to different levels of dimensions of characters that are playing multiple characters, first of all, yeah, um, that are within this narrative, whether you zoom in closer to them or not, and then the actors that play them, and then blurring the lines of using the actor's real name and the and the actor's name, uh, the character's name, you know, I think you end up with this. Uh, very interdimensional story just messing with the fiction of it all. So there's this whole reading Mm -hmm. here of uh, the characters sort of becoming self-aware that if that those characters are realizing they're living within a dream, the dream is the project that they're in. It's like Kyle McLaughlin himself waking up 
you know, if if that if it was Kyle instead of Richard, it would <laughs> right. make perfect sense like yeah. that, right? Like, um, and 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 the cyclical kind of nature of it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, Laura's Whisper, uh, for example, it comes at the end that we also saw at the beginning. Yeah. Um, as I was saying to you, I was thinking about this, like, what if what she whispered actually was what we heard in the original series? Mm-hmm. My father killed me. But this time, Cooper's reaction. Just yeah, his reaction changes because this time he already is thinking that he stopped her from right. being killed when he hears. So that, huh? Wait, your father still killed you? I thought I solved right. that. Right, but no, you I yeah, see. no, you can't erase that, right? Yeah, um, that her father still killed her, at least in that one reality, uh-huh. and so you still have the Laura in the lodge and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe if there really is a plan here, if we're going to think Cooper's on top of it, mm-hmm. the two birds of the, with regard to Laura. It's not about saving her where we saw him save her. Maybe it's about saving her from the lodge, mm-hmm. trying to save her from the lodge. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Know. Well, I mean, it does have that duality to it, too. They're saving, yeah. saving one's physical corpus, and then they're saving one's soul, which is a very religious idea. Right. We have the end of fire walk with me. I've been thinking about that. Oh, we're... And, and, and Laura like, as an angel. Or surrounded by angels with the sappy music. Like, oh, this yeah. This is a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the real ending, mm-hmm. and it's a matter of trying to get there, and 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 this other stuff is somehow in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that'll hold up, but it's an idea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing that uh, I really am going over and over in my mind is the reason for Cooper taking Carrie Page yeah. from Texas to the Palmer House, and yeah. the idea of seeing the Palmer House as. Um, sort of a haunted house, sort of a place that is an important place, maybe like the convenience store or something Mm, like that. mm -hmm. So, I mean, when I think of him going and getting Carrie Page, there's, uh, again, the strange moment of the body that's there. Yeah. And her saying, okay, normally somebody like you comes around, I tell him to fuck off. Is she saying normally some authority comes around or normally, you know, has she seen other figures coming through, like interdimensional traveling? And we were talking about Um, last week how... I thought it was particularly weird that she invited him in with the dead body there. He's yeah. identified himself as the FBI. Yeah, and he seems to notice it, but it's definitely unacknowledged, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and this gets to the other thing, right? His character in those scenes. Yeah. We noted um, doesn't quite seem like the Cooper we had in Part 17, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, and I am really thinking that his doppelganger has been reincorporated. Yeah. That's my interpretation. I see. When you see Mr. C on fire, I think that is representative of the doppelganger in itself being destroyed as a separate being and that that he's then reincorporated. And so this is the full Cooper, right? Mm -hmm. So when he's in Judy's, he has those aspects that feel a bit like Mr. C. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm reading all of that for Mm -hmm. what it's worth. Yeah, and I like the details that are in there where certain things line up. Oh, Judy, it's the name. Oh, a mm-hmm. diner. I'm used to that diner feel, the coffee, mm-hmm. uh, the type of um, uniform that the waitress is wearing. The uni- the waitress herself kind of reminded me of Becky, actually. Kind of does look a little bit like mm. Becky. I saw some other people um, uh, who were reminded of Laura Palmer, yeah, actually. Yeah. By, by her. And some people speculating that they thought that it was that actress playing the young Laura Palmer and the new Firewalk With Me stuff, if you're following me. The uh, scenes that weren't actually in Fire Walk with me that continue on from Fire Walk with me. The missing pieces. No, no, no. In uh, in uh, part seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The young Laura yeah. Palmer. Right. There were some people online who were thinking it was the um, actress who plays the waitress at Judy's. Oh, I see. But 
It's pretty well confirmed that it's not. It's it's uh, Cheryl Lee, and they did some CGI or whatever. I see. Yeah, which is I what I thought that. originally. Mm-hmm. But right, definitely they look pretty similar. But the attention know? to detail, where there's enough things that are similar, that I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> are we? It really felt like I was jumping between these parallel realities. Mm-hmm. And another thing that's interesting in that Judy scene when he's talking to uh, Christy, I think her name was there. Yeah, Christy with a K. He asks if there's another waitress. Yeah. He doesn't know her name. Yeah. But well, somehow he seems to know that the other waitress would be Laura Palmer, but hmm. he doesn't know her name. He doesn't use her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe he doesn't know what her name is in this reality, but somehow knows that that's Laura that's working there. I think he so. He doesn't know the name Carrie Page yeah, exactly. until he gets there. Yeah, that's how I'm right. reading that. Yeah. Yeah. And how is, at this point, is he using a dowser's wand to find her? Or, you know, how? what's the information he's got to find her? Well, how did he even end up in Texas? Mm-hmm. I mean... They drive 430 miles, and that's where they cross over, mm-hmm. right? Coop and Diane. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I saw online, which was kind of interesting, someone found that about 430 miles from Twin Peaks is a little town called Three Forks, Montana. Okay. So just the thought that it's it's almost too perfect to not be the right answer, mm-hmm. right? Three Forks mm-hmm. with the different Coopers, Dougie and Mr. C, and I, I don't know, everything else. and mm-hmm. um, Be pretty close to Missoula, where David Lynch was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless of that, it's certainly, um, you know, it's like 17 or 1800 miles from Twin Peaks to Odessa. Yeah. So I don't even know how they got to Texas. Right. You know? And like we said, when he wakes up in that hotel room, we don't know if that's even the same timeline where he was with Diane before yeah, that. Right. So. Because it's a different motel and it's a different car that he gets into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think there is the possibility that those are representative of kind of two different attempts at this like maybe they've been doing this over and over again that's how we explain that was the initial Diane thought that i got her, um, is that the double. feeling of them in the car together like here we go again kiss me here we go you know babe we're gonna jump through this uh vortex again or something yeah um, and then i'm thinking why are they named richard and linda or why are those names there and the best i can do is kind of thinking that they take the place of their alternate selves yeah i kind or, of felt that way like too that. yeah like in uh kind of like a quantum leap kind of thing where yeah quantum leap he's jumping between these realities mm-hmm. but he's a separate consciousness that jumps into someone else's consciousness and takes it over yeah and, okay maybe but i'm thinking that this is actually again being really metaphysically thick here that somehow we would all have souls that cut across all of these realities and but maybe in some of them... No, I agree. Uh, my soul's so different that he's some guy named Richard in Texas. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Quantum Leap, all of those right. characters are you. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But there's infinite yeah. numbers of you. And just yeah. that idea. I mean, you're tackling... If we back up from this whole thing, you're... And that's one thing. We get so down into the nitty-gritty of the details and stuff and what does what mean. But when I back up from this show and take the broad view, yeah, I'm kind of even more intrigued. Like, first of all, at its core we're talking about a story about a father who rapes and murders his own daughter yep that you watch the show and you're laughing so i mean yeah yeah yeah, sometimes of course but you know what i mean like presenting it how it was presented from the very beginning where it's Mm. such a traumatic event that leads you down this path of this soap opera that goes in so many different directions and everything and here at the end of the return we've seen it go to some really crazy you know intergalactic interdimensional types of places Mm. um but uh, that, just to back out from what is happening, um, if you really consider the idea of everybody being fractured into these infinite possibilities and infinite numbers of yourself, just the idea of that, just the thought of that is a 
fearful black hole to consider. Oh, right? yeah, I've had conversations about this before. That uh, means we, there's all kinds of versions of you yeah. that you would not want to meet. We know? haven't done this, Mike, or, uh, and, and yeah. so everyone knows, but I've asked this, I've had this conversation with others before. If you have all of those um, parallel realities, right, yeah. and this means that are like some order of infinity mics, yeah. right, um, do you, uh, what bothers you more, the idea of um, versions of yourself with better lives or with worse lives? Hmm. I have no way of answering that. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't I, know. I have no frame of reference to be yeah. like, oh, uh, another mic with a different reality? That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty like, out there. But yeah, that's interesting. Out. It's like, oh, well, okay. So, but then it's fundamentally, it's the question of like, oh, I didn't get what I could have gotten. Yeah. Or, oh, you know, I'm very blessed because you can always get worse. You know? Right, exactly. I mean, I think, though, that where I'm being led and thinking about Twin Peaks um, would be, okay, maybe there are all of these, but they would have some level of coherence yeah. in maybe like a fifth dimensional space or something like that. Well, one um, thing that fascinates me is the idea that all this is split up and gets fractured based on one's choices, right? Yeah. So that at every choice moment, there's uh, possibly a fracture of the yes and, and the no both exist. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, that also brings up the idea of if you have multiple different sentient beings sharing a space, a time space mm -hmm. where that's possible, is that possible for every single one of the sentient beings in that space time? And if so, how do you get all the possibilities statistically bouncing off each other? You know, the fact that Laura's decisions leading up to her death, mm -hmm. that was her choices that she made. She was, yes, a troubled girl, but... You know, yeah. she went through these series of choices that she handled and dealt with a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and that ended up, her choices ended up, um, A, influencing tons of other people's lives, even in this crazy, like, possibly cosmic way with Cooper and all this, but also how she was influenced by Leland and every, all the demons inside Leland and all this stuff. So, take, you know, backing out and looking at it that way, you mm -hmm. know, it's like this, this, the choices that were made that day, that was one of those crossroad days for all humanity and it really brings up the idea of like, okay, so the choices you make, like the butterfly effect, mm -hmm. will affect not only other people around you, but all the billions of versions of them too. Or you know, yeah. or something. It makes it so much more intriguing and complex and chaotic to really, mm -hmm. really try to get your mind around this. And you know how we need a model of the atom to even consider what the atom is? Yeah. I think Lynch has done the best. Lynch and Frost have made a model to allow us to think about life in this way. Like, because I've read about parallel universe theories, and you know, not just from Bill Hastings' website, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But for you know, but in that website, it's very interesting. That they're using that as a marketing ploy. But in Bill Hastings' website, there's really a lot of awesome articles by Heinlein. You know, the Star Heinlein yeah. stories and mm -hmm. stuff. They're really that can kind of explain this, the physics of this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. if we really consider, hey, is this possibly real? The implications of that are. I think of scary Lynchian proportions, just like we're being shown in this show. And he's mm -hmm. made a great model to get us to, he's given me a tool to be able to like conceptualize that, you know? Right. I agree. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's interesting in, in physics. You've had that many worlds theory for quite a while. And I think it's actually gained, um, popularity is not quite the right word. Mm -hmm. Credence. Yeah. I think, right? right. There's more and more scientists who are thinking, no, maybe actually it is something like this. Uh, and there's also things in philosophy, man. I mean, going back at least to Leibniz, I mean, 17th yeah. century, where you have stuff about uh, different possible worlds hmm. and, and all of that. Right? And um, you said something earlier that you were mentioning something about interdimensional travel as taking place of reality itself. So that once you cross the void of 
the ability to travel, like an evolutionarily, like an evolutionary watershed moment, okay. where the first mm -hmm. human that gets the ability to do that, there's a watershed moment where, guess what? It's the different rules now. You've opened up the you know can of worms. Yeah. And that now everybody is flipping flippantly falling through different versions of realities constantly. And how chaotic can that whole system get? Yeah. So you know, this much, idea uh... that you just once you discover what's really the truth, you're subject to that now. You so, can no longer uh, go back to pretending that yeah. you have one reality. So how much are you going to blame on Philip Jeffries here? Yeah, he would be the one, <laughs> I guess. He'd be right? the one, right? He's, it's pretty slippery where yeah, he is. He's but, really slippery, yeah. Yeah. But also, like, the tea kettle being a symbol, like, what happens when it boils over and finally it goes off? It's the alarm mm, sound. Mm -hmm. You know, the whistle, the sound, like, the water is now boiling. There's been a fundamental change of an element from liquid to gas. Yeah. Right? Is sublimation. What yeah. Well, no, sublimation is going directly from solid to gas. Maybe that's even better. I see. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Which we also kind of... Uh, well, not gas, but from solid to electricity even. Um, mm -hmm. So there, there's something to that that's happening here. This yeah, is quite interesting. For sure. Yeah. So also this, there's this idea that of you know, shared consciousness, the collective unconscious, and mm -hmm. the idea that you know, we're all tapping into one giant consciousness. Mm -hmm. And if that consciousness exists on a field, yeah. like an electromagnetic field, and one form or one frequency of the consciousness changes the field that all consciousness will have to change and follow suit or something. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, what are we doing? We're kind of connecting up Carl Jung with some weird thought about electricity or something like that. But yeah, I think it's cool, right. man. <laughs> right. I'm digging it. You know, so it's like, yeah, collective unconscious, but this isn't uh, spooky, or maybe it's spooky, but it's electromagnetism. Yeah. Right? And um, that is fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... Uh, we don't really understand. I saw something or read some interview with Lynch where he was talking about this, right? Someone said, why are you fascinated with electricity? He's like, everyone should be, right? Yeah. Like scientists know how to do things with it and how it works to some degree, mm -hmm. but what is this, yeah. right? And I mean, if you dwell with that question, really think about all the things we use electricity for, mm -hmm. at this point in particular with digital media and mm -hmm. the like, the fact that I was watching Twin Peaks The Return on a computer that came through a wire, yeah. <laughs> and but and what's the material reality? It's yeah. flickering electricity. Yeah, right. It's it's a, a series of ones and zeros, basically yeah. in the right order, where that represents either there's electricity or there isn't. Yeah. Right. And you do that, and you give me David Lynch. Yeah, and like, when you see Cooper standing magic. on a satellite with the, that has a transmitter on it, and then is uh, sucked into an outlet carried through electricity to be given to us in our show, I mean, right. so, he's but, metaphorically talking about exactly the physics of what we're seeing. So why not think that the electromagnetic field, as it exists unharnessed in nature, if you like, is I don't know, con not I don't, I don't want to say conscious, mm -hmm. but something like that, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, another thing uh, I remember kind of fascinating me as I was trying to discover what electricity was and studying, you know, capacitance and what amperage mm -hmm. is and wattage and such, um, is the idea that uh, it's flowing electrons, right? And that every atom has electron, a certain number of electrons. Yeah. And so basically it's true that kind of everything is electricity or electricity is a feature of all matter of everything mm, mm -hmm. so it's just moving electrons and then when 
the electrons pass and jump from orbit to orbit, from atom to atom as the electricity moves. Yeah. It's this literally there's this weird atomic thing going on. So when we get in episode eight, the atom being split. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is what is that create? So there's something with electrons happening in a very in, in atomic physics here. Mm, and I don't, I like this it. is beyond my mm-hmm. understanding. Do you have any idea what when you split an atom, you destroy the nucleus or is Boom. too, you know, what's. Um, yeah, I know. But what is that release uh, of energy equals MC squared? Right. So we're talking about energy equals mass times the square root of the speed of light. So energy, yeah. the energy inside of mass is so great. You multiply it. It's the square of the speed of light, which is this mm-hmm. great number, right? Yeah. So, um, 186,000 miles per second, something like that. Okay. And yeah. so, and the, so the square root of that is what you multiply the bit of mass you're me- measuring to see how much energy is inside of it. And if you do that, that's a huge amount of energy inside mm-hmm. of all mass, the tiniest mass, the tiniest mass, an atom. Yes. And you split it. That's and there's billions of atoms inside of a human body, whatever. But right. you know, so split one of them, and you and, get that. And I don't know exactly how to read that scientifically. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to look into a bit more. Um, I mean, I think what you get is the energy. That's my understanding. Yeah. Right? But in terms of what's going on in part eight, I think there is that idea that in doing this, you are you're splitting open something about reality at the subatomic level. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's represented when you see the experiment, you know, vomiting out all those eggs or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And the Bob Orb, that there's some notion of something being unleashed on the world because we did this. Yeah. And poetically, we see that there. as eggs that turn to moth frogs that infect humans, even innocent humans, yeah. and plants the seed of something inside of them that's altered. Well, but, um, I mean, yeah, right. Which at a certain level is just symbolic, right? Or you can yeah. at least read it symbolically, yeah, yeah. right? And we unleashed, right? You know, I have become death destroyer of worlds, yeah. right? It's just nukes now. And in Secret yeah. History, this ties into a lot of the work of, like, Jack Parsons and trying to open a rift in this very ritualistic oh, yeah. mm-hmm. occult way with mm-hmm. explosives. And when you're splitting—but back to splitting the atom itself, I'm very curious to know, so what happens to the electrons on that atom when you split the atom? Is that—you know, and this is something maybe we'll get some comments and we'll revisit, whatever. Yeah, I, but I don't know. Like, I just if think electricity is uh, something that's flowing through atoms yeah. like that— Mm-hmm. Then we're down to talking about subatomic particles. Yeah. And it's very interesting that we're shown that in eight, that we zoom all the way into those subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. And what is an unleashed, I got the feeling was, you know, on a very tiny, tiny level that we've zoomed into. Yeah. You know. And you mentioned Jack Parsons. There's something worth talking about there, too, with the uh, one way you could read um, Cooper and Diane's uh, sex scene is at. Uh, as an attempt at sex magic, mm-hmm. right? And um, also we might notice that the way that Diane looks with the red hair and everything else bears a lot of resemblance to Marjorie Cameron. Yeah. Right? And so now we're talking mm-hmm. about the happening, the, what is it called, the incantation, the whore of Babylon. Yeah, all that stuff. And yeah. to kind of like do a ritualistic impregnation of a very special person that yeah. would lead to... Uh, you know, in in occult, uh, you know, references yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to so, a world leader or some great person like an Antichrist figure uh, or something. I don't know. I mean, or we might be tempted to read Cooper and Diane as trying to close the um, portal or something like that mm-hmm. rather than opening the portal. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, but it is worth noting, if nothing else, that Diane... Um, has the red hair and the black and white fingernails. Yeah. Which very lodge reminiscent. Yeah. Right? That's interesting. So. Yeah. Um, and so 
big events happening in this uh, <laughs> series. This is insane. So I was thinking about it earlier and uh, the idea that kind of there's this social critique thing that we keep seeing happening, right? And we've seen this mm -hmm. in a lot of Lynch's work, but uh, in the return, you know, w you know, gun violence, gun deaths, the assault of women, um, harassment and rape and murder. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so... Um, the weird psychological games people play on each other. You have the gambling kind of angle that's represented and stuff. And you have the drug addicted mom with the little kid in the home. And, you know. Yeah. And it's so, a, like. It's a vignette, apparently. Yeah. There's this. Yeah. Every single problem that kind of plagues society is truly represented in this. And people are under a lot of stress. Um, yeah. People are under a lot of stress. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I think this whole time that we are kind of witnessing. Um, this kind of critique of what we've done and what we originally started, our original analysis was kind of more or less um, human versus nature mm -hmm. and the destruction of the natural world to create, you know, kind of the industrial era or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if we start there and we carry that all the way to its fullest extent, where in the future, the extreme of that is being covered in black sl sludge and oil and being stuck in these weird convenience gas station scenarios right. where you're eating out of cans. And eating nothing but Cheetos, yeah. ultimately. But, but that's, that's, the, the, that's the extreme. Chantel's the apotheosis, right? We're not even eating creamed corn anymore. We're eating Cheetos. Well, I feel like the extreme is the woodsmen that are covered in oil and whatnot. And yeah, fair enough. all the way up to that in between is the mini malls and the mm. little the gas station they stop at in the last episode, you know, and Chantel eating her Cheetos mm. and all the junk food references and fucks her smoking again. cigarettes, you know, mm. and all these little subtle staged up like, what are we really doing here? And if you look at it that way, there's really a challenge on as to, well, when you say a battle of good and evil, what do you really mean? Mm. You know, and I think there's a lot that's represented here that is about the natural world, you know, like um, the character that comes in and tries to take over Norma's business or something. Yeah, Walter. Walter. Fuck that right. guy. Yeah, He's fuck the big Walter, bad. Of course, yeah. yeah. We don't like this guy. Walter, Chad... And the trucker. But he's kind of like this, yeah, he's kind of like this, and Chad too, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and truck you, yeah, yeah, there's, they're like this modern version of like, no, you're really this, the banality of evil, you're really what the, the essence of kind of like failing to take advantage of the beauty of life or something, you know, mm -hmm. and the yeah. degradation of thought into this, so I'm the master of a domain and I can take what I want or whatever, Right. And that's this that's the same concept of going in and cutting down all the trees in the northwest to make money, you know. And yeah. here we see it played out in so many different ways. So the mystery is there and there's all kinds of like questions I have about details and where's Audrey and all this stuff, but the subliminal message I'm getting is like, you know, oh man, the modernization that we've we've really changed things. We've created a new timeline for the universe itself mm -hmm. with things like the atomic explosion and with cutting down all the trees. And with all the oil yeah. and, you know, and all of that is actually, if you start looking at it, all that is clearly there. That's that's the big battle that we're looking at. It's not good versus evil, God versus Satan, monster versus purebred, whatever. No, it's all about enormous pie ingredients. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is exactly what I mean. Yes. Yeah, it's about exactly. organic, you know, um, local, uh -huh. uh, you know, ingredients and, um, you know, just that idea of like homemade. I made it. Norma makes them herself. Mm -hmm. And you go there, and it's a product of her labor, and she's there to share it with you. Absolutely. So, you know, versus manufactured creamed corn or whatnot. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and then to see the God of Light guys being like, oh, I want to smoke cigarettes, and I'm all covered in oil, <laughs> and I'm going to bash your head in, is I really think Lynch's, like, dark vision of our future, if we don't somehow 
you know, change yeah, the corruption in government, stop the brutality of the police, stop mm-hmm. the brutality in general that comes out of uh, society in all these seedy ways. Yeah, and I like tying this into our interpretation of the drunk in the jail cell yes. that we were talking about last week. Yeah. That, that one, Chad's shitty thought energy. Yeah, perhaps it's Chad's shitty thought energy tulpa. Yeah. And the other idea that maybe it's in the process of becoming a woodsman. Yeah. Right? And the, pa- the possibility that those two might both be right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's great. And the idea also that this brings me back to is the idea of woodsmen versus firemen. So mm-hmm. woodsmen are oh, yeah. the guys mm-hmm. that go out and work and put on a flannel shirt and a beanie and they take an axe and they cut down trees. It's the woodsmen are here. And, you know, our bar is built up around a logging mm-hmm. community and they're woodsmen. That's the tin woodsman in The Wizard of Oz. You know, that's what I picture. Mm-hmm. He's cutting down sure, the trees. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the firemen are there to, like, stop the trees from burning. And to, you know, stop their destruction. Yeah. And anytime wood is burning, you call the firemen to put out a fire. And then the idea of, like, Laura's fire, and, like, once a fire like this starts, it's very hard to put out. So is the giant the putter-outer of that fire? Well, but it also plays, right, thinking about firemen, and if we're thinking about forest fires, right, Mm -hmm. my understanding is sometimes you need some fires, right? Right. To the point where now they'll go and they'll, they'll try and set, like, controlled fires. Yeah. Well, it's because it's a but, natural process. I mean, the wood dries out, it gets older, lightning well, hits. And, exactly. Mm-hmm. The thing is, we fucked with that natural process. Yeah. To the point where now we're trying to set controlled fires to prevent bigger forest right. fires. When before we got involved, there was a more um, natural process. Yeah, it's as like I inoculations things. and bacteria. Yeah, Like exactly. something like that where so we're changing have the it. dry yeah. undergrowth and, as you say, maybe lightning strikes or something like that. But what that is in the natural world is life, death, and rebirth. Which is also mm. a big thing in Buddhism. It's the but, cycle mm, of life. That we, so we're talking about the interruption of the cycle itself. Mm, we we interrupted the cycle. Yeah. And of course, on a broader scale, you get to get into global warming and all of that too, right? Yeah. I mean, and there's no going back, right? Yeah. It's not like at this point we could just say, "Oh, what we messed up the forests? Well, let's just leave them alone and and let it, you know, come back to uh, homeostasis or something." Mm-hmm. No, we we like wreck the homeostasis forever. Well, I think in the woodsman's world. That is wrecked forever, and that's mm. that's I think his okay. bleak vision. Yeah, but I still think there's a chance for the pine weasel. I hope so. You know, I mean, no, it's not that there's no chance for the pine weasel. I think it's it's more just that you can't go home again, mm-hmm. right? Oh, like, I see. You also yeah. you cannot correct the uh, kind of ecological trauma. Oh, yeah, nothing can be undone. Right. What well, the past dictates the future. Yeah, right. exactly. nothing can be undone. Mm-hmm. You can create a new future. And it might, it's not, as has demonstrated 18 times in a row, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to be what you expect. Yeah, exactly. You know, but um, the past dictates the future. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's a really, really heavy, important lesson that societies of the world, all of them equally mm-hmm. need to learn right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that is at the core of this story. Mm-hmm. And what's, what triggers it all is the death of an innocent, you know. And so in so many ways, I feel like it is kind of this archetypal story that en- encapsulates all other stories. We've said it before, it, whether you're talking about the, sor- the story of a valiant knight or the story of going into the underworld or mm-hmm. the love story or, you know, um, the crime noir or whatever it is, it's all wrapped up in and there. It, yeah, and it's King Arthur and it's the Wizard of Oz and it's Back to the Future. Yeah, and, and uh, Nightmare and, on Elm Street. And, and, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that list keeps going because yeah. it's so referential for stuff, but then that's the whole other way of looking at it that maybe we need a whole other podcast to analyze is Lynch as a filmmaker that knows his business, man. Yeah. I love the idea of him dropping in these references to the things that he loves and never once do you feel like, oh, he's pulling or ripping off or even quoting. You almost feel like, wait, no, this is a Lynch thing that they, or, you know, oh, yeah, they 
Sunset Boulevard did come first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but it's in the it's in the grand style of illusion. Yeah. Right. I mean, and homage and and, and yeah. homage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not ripping anything off. It's. Uh, it's winking and pointing. And, yeah. And, and but for example, like when I watch something influence. like Family Guy or something yeah. like, oh, there's that thrown in and oh, there's that thrown in and oh, there's that. But with Lynch, I feel like it's all you have to know the reference to even catch it most of the time. Mm-hmm. And um, when it's there in front of you, you feel like this definitely fits in here into Lynch's reality. Yeah, you know? for sure. It's not a culmination of all these references making something new. It's it's through and through original that still is able to quote and sample accurately. Um, based on the narrative that he's wa- that he's weaving, you know. Yes, I think it'd be great uh, to get into that a bit more, perhaps in the future. We've also been talking about potentially getting into the um, Buddhism connections mm-hmm. a bit more at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to keep going. I don't know if it'll be every week, but we do plan to ultimately hit the final dossier at least. So we'll have some more stuff between now and then. Mm-hmm.